Is it for real? We used to love it then, we watch it now, we don't know if we like it. Is it for real? Bonus! You're listening to Is, is it, it for real? real? This is Philip and Katie and Bridget. And today, and- oh yeah, we we are really, really excited because this is a bonus edition of Is It For Real, inspired off of Dave L's second suggestion to watch Gremlins 2. And today we are joined by Gremlins 2 puppeteer plus so much more which we'll learn about grant aren't thank you grant for being here my pleasure so always happy to talk about gremlins too (laughs) it's so nice to have you here um so for our our giant fan base who loves loves the gremlins franchise um what sort of like what would you tell people about what was your involvement in the gremlins 2 production like what and i'm sure there's multiple hats you wore and then like a literal gremlins hat as well so what would you tell people Very good uh i was i worked on rick baker's crew uh that did the creature effects the gremlins and the mogwais for gremlins 2 so, so uh, that's really cool yeah. So when you say work on them, is that the whole creative process from start to finish? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I worked. Um, I worked as a sculptor uh, mainly for for them, and I worked on the. There was a pre-production R and D period of making puppets just to sort of test out how to do it, and I worked on that. And then we worked on making the actual puppets and taking them to set. I did a little bit of puppeteering. Uh, and, uh, yeah, but mainly I was working in the shop, uh, sculpting and building the puppets, building some of the puppets with a lot of other people. So there was, he had a very large crew for that movie. I think there were at least 60 people working for him in various capacities on that. So we made, and we made over a hundred, hundred puppets oh, wow. for that movie. What were they made out of? I like for a while I was watching, there's like a reality TV show about like the special, like, uh, costuming and special effects and so I, I know the smallest amount about this but yes. so i'm fascinated to see like what it was face made off out. right that was face off yeah it, it, there you go there you go you used to always watch face off um yeah the, the puppets were made out of ultimately out of foam latex and or latex and polyfoam with other things inside them uh, fiberglass and metal and mechanisms uh, so they all started life as sculptures out of oil-based or water-based clay that were then molded in either some sort of plaster-like or, or silicone or some other substance. And then rubber skins were made out of those to make the puppets and glued together and painted and, and all that sort of stuff. So uh, some of the puppets were very simple. They were basically like Muppets and some of them were very, very mechanically sophisticated and they had lots of moving parts. So all sorts of different things, but yeah, that's the process for all of them. So was there, were there different um, types of prototyping and R&D that went into the second Gremlins, like lessons learned perhaps from the first one or what changed? Because you didn't work on the first one, correct? No, no. Well, the first one was done by Chris Whalus up in the Bay Area. And I think he was maybe directing when they came to do the second one. So they had Rick Baker do it because Rick was a big name, uh, is a big name. And I think it was also for his marquee value and he, you know, top, top person. And um, so Rick asked for as a condition of it, getting time to figure out how to do the puppets. He, you know, very few people had ever done a puppet movie on this scale. 
certainly he hadn't he'd done a lot of other movies at that point so he wanted to figure it out so we built versions of all the puppets um just for about three months i think that we just built puppets that there was never going to they were never going to be in the movie we built mogwise i worked a lot on the mogwise during that period of time so i sculpted um a couple that were the normal size you see in the film i sculpted a double size uh, i sculpted we sculpted a suit um a size that was about six times size that a little person wore uh and to test that out you know this wow. is before cgi so how do you have them walk and we made multiple faces, you know, to see about expressions. People made gremlins. They made gremlins in various sizes and shapes and even a suit gremlin for a, a person who was about five feet tall to see how that would work. So we built just tons of, of puppets for the for research and development just to see how they would, you know, figure out how to make the, the various parts move. The, the mogwais are so little, right? How do you how do you pack all the mechanisms in and, and make them look decent? So, yeah, so that's that was so that. Cool. And then we worked on it ultimately for, I think, a year and a half. Wow. Certainly a, at least a year, which is, you know, that's way longer. Most movies are, were, even at that time, three months maybe at most. And so this was, this was much longer and a much, much, much vaster scale than most movies at that time. And when you say Mogwai, so I noticed this in the credits, there's like a Mogwai team and like a Gremlins team. Yeah. Do you mean what like us lay people may refer to as gizmo gizmo is the main mogwai okay the mogwai's are little furry guys got it and the gremlins are the lizardy monster guys after they get wet the evolution yep. perfect i got it now right. so yeah so i think it even says for the rick baker credit it says mogwai and gremlin effects so yeah so it the, does so those are the it does. And that's a good clarification. Cause in my mind, I was like, Oh, Gizmo has his like own team, but I'm like, Oh, right. Now I understand there is two levels. Don't you remember yes. crazy eyed? Yes. I mean, yes. Now I Daffy. have, now I'm Daffy. Oh, they all nice. had very distinct all in, in the movie, you know, by the movie time they had sort of solidified characters. And so, yeah, there, and there's a, there's a Mogwai and a gremlin version of the, I think there are five main characters. There's, there's Mohawk who's the, becomes the spider. Right, but he's the really evil guy. There's Daffy with the googly eyes. Right. There's George and Lenny, based on of mice and men. So there's one who's kind of big oh. and dumb. Oh yeah. And there's one who's kind of smart and little, and he's actually looks like Edward G. Robinson. That's why he's smoking a um, a cigar. He's based <laughs> on Edward G. Robinson. That's so funny. <laughs> Wait. And who is Edward G. Robinson for? He's the old gangster uh, from the like the 30s movies. I'm trying to remember oh, okay. what he is. You would know him instantly if you yeah. saw him. Gotcha. He's, he's uh, he, he just picture it. Yeah. And if you look at the gremlin and you look at sort of the picture, you can see exactly how he's based on on Edward G. Robinson. You know, uh, Joe Dante is a big movie buff. Mm -hmm. So the director. And so he works in lots of, you know, um, characters and bits and, and and cinematic techniques you guys talked a lot about this the shadow play that are from those classic movies right and so it makes it's natural that then and of course it's also all based on the warner brothers cartoons which also would have the sort of lenny and and or the lenny and george dynamic too mm -hmm. so yeah they're throwing everything in there but now when y'all were making the puppets did they give you like a list of those or did you have some like creative license to sort of create some of the characters yourself. Yeah, so a lot of them, you know, there would be things in the script to the extent the script was written. The script wasn't finished by the time we started the movie. Actually, they were, I mean, I remember we were working on it and they were trying to figure out how to end it. 
like th that was not clear at all. So, um, so there would be things though that would be in the script. It will need to do this or that, right? And so at some point, you're probably gonna need to see Gizmo walking. So we need to figure out ways to make Gizmo walk. And we need, you know, and so, the, and there's gonna be a lot of special purpose puppets built for that. But there was a point also where they were taking pitches and especially for the lab scene, like there, there was a lot of opportunity for people to sort of uh, pitch ideas for lab gremlins. And there all sorts of sculptures were made to different, different kinds of, of ideas for what you would see in that scene. Uh, the, you know, the, there's the, the famous Key and Peele skit I gonna, about this. I was just going to ask if you saw that. Yeah, and that's that's basically, <laughs> yeah. that was, there was that process of just pitching ideas to, and anybody could pitch, anybody on, I think on the crew or anyone could go in and pitch the ideas for, for the gremlins. So you would just come up with things from old, you know, old, old cartoons and things, anything like that would be open, fair game. So, and, and a lot of those, I, th I think they eventually made their way in, some of them. So um, yeah, so that was, so there was a lot of that, of uh, sort of flexibility plus, because this is before CGI, you have to build things in a very particular way just so you can get, you know, like shots of something walking are really hard to, you, if you watch the movie, you probably saw that, right? You kind of have a, you have to cut between different kinds of puppets. If you show it from the waist up, you have one puppet. And if you show it from the waist down, or if you, you know, you have to have a different puppet for that, so. What about Gizmo's fingers? Were they human fingers? Was I right? They, well, no, they were gloves. We figured out in the test film period that if you, the two times gloves, if you sculpted hands up uh, accurately, you could actually make them so that you would be able to fit your fingers in those oh. gloves. And because the fur would then kind of hide the rest of your hands. So you could have close up hands that were, were little, you know, three fingered gloves, your thumb and two fingers. So. <laughs> so, I, so Grant, what, I mean, at the time, would you have called yourself an animator, a puppeteer, an, a sculptor, and then sort of like, how did you get into the, that work and where, how, how has it taken you where you are now and what you do now? We would have called ourselves, and I think people probably still do call themselves creature effects artists. Okay. So, because, uh, you cool. know, because we do creatures, whether they're puppets or masks or makeups, that was, you know, it's all the same people. Uh, and uh, I got into that because as a kid, I liked to make stuff and I started making Super 8 movies and I got into making the special effects for Super 8 movies, which led me to a magazine called Cinemagic that had articles on making your own masks and all that sort of stuff. So I spent my junior high and, and certainly high school years in the basement making masks and so uh, cool. plotting my escape from the Midwest so I could move out to Los Angeles and start working in the industry. So, uh, and did that when I graduated from high school, I had moved out to Los Angeles and started looking for work and showing my portfolio around to people. So- um, Are there any other big movies that you've worked on other than th this one or is this like the, the main- uh, I moved, actually, I, I ended up working on movies that are now remembered. I, I think most of them, almost all of them were flops at the time, but a couple of them have become cult classics in kind of the same way this one, you know, ended up on your podcast. People remember them from their childhood and, and decide. So I, I, I moved out there, I think in probably 85 or 86. And the first movie I worked on, I did some work for free, like to get my foot in the door on a commercial and, and things, but I worked on a movie called Monster Squad. Which, oh yeah. Yeah, maybe a little older, but yeah, that was a big, you know, it had all the classic monsters in it, kind of a comedy with kids fighting monsters. 
I worked on that as a, I was actually a, a sort of the runner in the shop. I, I worked at Stan Winston Studios on that. It was a big, he did Terminator and he did Jurassic Park later on. Uh, and I was initially just driving to buy supplies. And when I wasn't doing that, I got to work in the shop on things uh, and eventually got to make some stuff for that. Uh, and then we worked on Predator, the movie Predator, nice. for which I mainly sculpted the hair and did a lot of lab work, the, the dreads. Oh yeah. Um, and uh, Leviathan, which nobody remembers, but it was one of I've the attempts. Okay, good. It was one of the attempts to cash in on uh, what's the Jim Cameron movie, The Abyss, while that was in oh, production. Yeah. Everybody was rushing to make underwater monster movies, <laughs> science fiction movies. So Leviathan is one of them. I worked on that. And then I worked on uh, Alien Nation also, the, the movie, not the TV show, which nobody remembers probably. The, uh, <laughs> And that was another big show at Stan's. Those are all Stan Winston. And then I worked on Gremlins 2. I worked on a couple other little things, but but that was it. And Gremlins 2 was more or less the last major movie I worked on, so. That's so cool. Is there a particular um, like creature or puppet movie from your childhood or maybe even anything recently that you are like fanning over that, that has you um, thinking about the work that you do or, or when you, one you might recommend to us? Of course, as a kid, I was in the, the peak period for creature effects since I was, uh, a, you know, in my early teens when American Werewolf in London and The Howling and The Thing. And I mean, those are, you know, if you haven't seen those in terms of yeah, makeup effects. My favorite. Yeah. 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 No, yeah, they can't. It, it's still I, Legend. I think I did. You guys do Legend? Yes. yes. <laughs> that was, we sure did. <laughs> that was legendary in terms of the, the makeup effects in that are, are really outstandingly amazing. I, that was, I think, by far the three of our absolute favorite part of that movie. It was it's that incredible. The, the glitter budget, yeah. Grant. They had quite yes. an extensive glitter budget. And yeah, <laughs> and, and, and smoke filters. Um, and you, of course, you know the Gremlins 2 connection there. The Swamp Witch is played by Daniel Clamp's assistant, Bob Picardo, the actor. Oh, you know, it's interesting when I was researching Legend, um, he gets like top billing. And I guess that that makes sense. It's like Maggie Muck or something. Meg um, Mucklebones. Yes. Ma thank you. Thank you. Meg Mucklebones. Yes. That's, that's awesome. Fantastic makeup. And uh, he's also the main, nobody would recognize him, but he's the main werewolf in The Howling. He's unrecognizable oh, wow. in his makeup. So, but yeah, he's got a great face for makeup. He's got really big mouth and eyes. And so when, and he's really great in the makeup. So people like to use him and he's a nice guy too. So that's also okay. <laughs> um, uh, influential. So Grant, cool. I work in, I work in theater and I've worked in theater for practically my whole career. So do bragging. you, do you have any, I'm bragging. Yeah. I was a high school theater teacher, Grant. I want you to know that. <laughs> Um, I do work in professional theater now. Anyway, do, have you ever done any uh, creature effects like for live production or have you seen anything that really stood out to you that I was in drama club when I was in junior high and, and high school, I think as well. And, and I'm a terrible actor. So, uh, <laughs> but I did do, I think I did do, I did a very terrible prospector makeup on myself for a, for a melodrama we did. We did really high-class plays in high school. So yes. uh, it was nice. the gold miner's daughter. And I think I did a witch for another high school play. I did a, like a witch's nose. Nice. Um, That's cool. Yes. But I haven't seen a lot, no, recently. So I don't know. I mean, I know actually people who do, like in the, from the makeup effects world, who do the effects for the big stage shows, whether it's, um, you know, Phantom, I think has given a lot of people work and... 
other shows that use, you know, you will use um, the technology. So yeah, yeah, that's so cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, I love that stuff. Um, that's good. If you get on a show like that, that would be a, a good gig because it would be ongoing as opposed to a film. You know, you do it for three months and then it's over and you've got to look for your next job. Was it like speaking of like the three months of like Gremlins 2, was it like into it just seems like so much is in this movie that it's just it would have been like intense of just so many things going on at once. Was it sort of this crazy sort of circus or was it fairly regimented? Um, yeah. In Rick's shop, it was, you know, pretty regimented in terms of in everybody, you know, the sculptors were in one area and the mold makers and the foam runners and the, you know, the, the people who did the mechanics, big mechanic shop there as well. Um, but, you know, they were all, we were always working on everything at the same time. And it was always to push to, to meet the deadlines because for like the main characters, as I said, you know, they had to do specialized puppets. So they were working on, you know, for the George or the, they would have the, the regular hand puppet and the, the, and then they would have, they had specialized puppets that were totally mechanical and took months of work. And so, yeah, so they're all, you're always fighting like to get the stuff you need to have the film now, but also be working ahead to get the stuff that's going to be needing to shoot in a while. That's going to be incredibly labor intensive. And Rick's a real perfectionist in terms of how things look. So everything had to be done really well and redone and, you know, really fixed. So, yeah, so it was always controlled, controlled chaos yeah. it was never a dull moment this may and, be like know, a little go ahead go ahead go ahead and, and you know like i think i only worked 10 or 12 hours a day but there were people definitely who were working uh around the clock you know who were really doing it uh, as much as possible so well my question kind of leads into that it might be a leading question but i was i guess i was hearing about at least gremlins one that the the um crew i mean i read this summer so who knows but the crew famously had like a gizmo that they would throw darts at and then it it made its way into the movie because people were just like we cannot make any more gremlins like these like these filmmakers don't understand how hard this is so for gremlins 2 um was the vibe that the crew like were people just stoked to be there and they're like yes can't wait for gremlins three or was it a little bit of like oh my gosh if i have to look at one more gremlin <laughs> you know i think people were probably a little sick i mean but people were very excited to be working for rick um rick you know was a very um idolized figure so i think people were very very happy and felt very fortunate um to work work there on the shop uh, in and of itself, not necessarily on Gremlins 2. I mean, I, working on these movies, you usually have a pretty, um, what would you say, uh, jaundiced view of, of them in terms of like, it's Gremlins 2. It's always a lot more chaotic in terms of, as I said, you know, the script wasn't finished. What's it going to be like? I was actually really impressed watching it last night at how tightly edited it is. I mean, it's yes. really just keeps moving and moving and moving. It doesn't, you know, when you're working on it, it's, it is like, you know, what's going to happen next and this isn't working and we spent a month on this and it didn't end up in the movie. And so, you know, so um, the movie itself may not be your focus, but uh, I think it, for, it was people's chance to work uh, for Rick or just to do, you know, we, at that point, people were very into doing a, a great job. If you worked at Rick's, to do a great job just as an end in itself. What mattered was how good what you did was, not how it looked on film. I mean, it, it, it should just look great just as a piece of, of art that you did. So it yeah, was very I mean, much the attitude. Thing, yeah, the one thing you can tell with this movie is you can see like the money and the effort that went into all of that. It is on the screen. It's like, you, you can tell 
that just how much money and sweat and tears all went up there and it's just it exudes from the movie and yeah well that set i was struck once again i mean you know i was filmed on that set but that the the, the clamp tower two level mall set that's you know that was pretty amazing you know we had elevators and stuff uh, in in and that was on a sound stage so <laughs> was that out in la or was that in new york no, that was in, it was in LA. It was on the Warner Brothers studios in, in, I, I can't, I think soundstage 16. I don't know. It was, it, it was, yeah. So it was, it was big and they had to do that because as they got to the end to put a puppet in the floor, obviously you need to drill holes in the floor, cut holes mm-hmm. in the floor. So you need to, I think it was built on a soundstage that had a pool nice. part underneath the oh, floor okay. so that in, in theory they could like toward the end of the shoot, start cutting holes in the floor. So the puppeteers could be under the floor and, and stick the puppets through. You're either supposed to do that or you're supposed to build all the sets up, you know, four or five, six feet off the ground so you can get puppeteers underneath them. So, yeah. So that, I mean, yeah, that, and the puppets, of course, were great. I mean, Rick also, I mean, the people I was working with were just, are still the top people in the field. I mean, they were amazing artists. It was amazing just to look at what they were doing in terms of sculpting and painting and, and, and you know, everything was, was just amazing to look at in person. So. Oh yeah, I can't even imagine. Um, I know, I know that you mentioned that uh, our illustrated gremlin that's on our pod, Greta, mm-hmm. uh, is, and you mentioned that she was your creation. Is she named after you? No, and she was never. <laughs> Greta is retconning, and that that came. Oh, okay. or maybe, or maybe right. Joe Don, that, that that we'd never. We just called her the girl gremlin. Okay. okay. Oh, so, yeah. Okay. So yeah, so I ended up doing that one. Um, and yeah, so that was that was that was one of those that was pitched during the 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 lab sequence, right? And then and it fits in with lots of tropes from old cartoons. And obviously, she's kind of a Veronica Lake, term, or I guess Jessica Rabbit would be the yeah, you know, totally. who's also based on Veronica Lake. So yeah, it's based on the old the old Bugs Bunny cartoons where Bugs Bunny ends up, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> with like being a in drag like, or something yes. I mean, we weren't that sophisticated back then to have these kinds of categories so um yeah <laughs> so i did know, build that that's really cool we spent a lot of time talking about how gremlins fall in love and whether whether they made we, we went it, you know it's hard not to wonder you just you get attached to them you want to know about their lives yeah no, I mean, I'll, I'll... And that was oh, that was another thing like that ending is is a parody of the end of Sunset Boulevard. Okay, that, that came out of nowhere. That was just totally surprising. I mean, they just also made up things to do with that. I don't I mean, I don't think the bus, the Busby Berkeley or Busby Berkeley um, number where she comes out of the, the painting of her yeah. face. Right. That, I think that all ended up being kind of added in. So that was totally unexpected that, you know, what she wasn't supposed to be like in that much of it. She ended up she's kind of the breakout a breakout star from this movie because she's so easy to identify i think yeah totally and then there's no like i guess there's like really no girl gremlins in gremlins one so it's like kind of amazing as you Um, pointed out they reproduce asexually so they do (laughs) well and for better for worse a lot of our uh listeners and friends have said that they like definitely had a crush on greta gremlin (laughs) That was a lot of the responses I got when I was asking about Greta. It's like, oh yeah, she's like super good looking. I'm like, okay. She's a tro- um, combination of every like combination, you know, what would, what did, they, when they did Bugs Bunny, when they right. did Minnie Mouse, when, the, you know, like what, what do you focus on the shoes and the legs and the. So, she's yeah. got like the Marilyn Monroe mole, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
Yes. And, you know, and the eyelashes, really oh, yeah. big eyelashes and all that. Yes, that, that was all, you know, and that's the funny thing also, the other gremlins were beautiful sculptures. And I think you can see that, but you know, when they're so detailed and beautiful, they move around a lot on screen. And if you're not used to looking at them, you can't really see them as clearly. Whereas the girl gremlin is very simple, right? She's got a big green wig on and she's got, you know, big red lips. And so it reads really well, even if you just see her very briefly. So she's so simple that she's effective, not necessarily that she's artistically as sophisticated as Mohawk, for example, or one of those yeah. that if you looked at it, you would just look, spend hours looking at the paint job on, on those other characters and be really amazed. That's so cool. So and, I, oh, go ahead, Kate. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, and you, you create, I mean, yes, it's blowing my mind that you made her. And then you said you got to do a little bit of puppeteering. Did you puppeteer her or was it other, another gremlin? I got to do about the level of puppeteering you saw in that photo of me on set where I have the gremlin on my hat and my head on a hat and I had a gremlin puppet on each hand and it, I was in the way back just waggling so we could have as many possible gremlins in that scene as possible because that was about the level of puppeteering I could manage like got it if, if it got any closer it would be it would be very very clear that um <laughs> I was not uh, a puppeteer so no so the girl gremlin was puppet <laughs> yeah, the girl Grumman was puppeteered by the best puppeteers on on the on the on this set uh, or on the on the team. Uh, I think Steve Sleep and Mark Tyler uh, were the primary people who puppeteered her. Yeah. So um, uh, and yeah, so that was the, and I yeah, I built her. I, I because of the way it worked, uh, they used the head and the arms were standard. Gremlin hands, heads and arms because we had mechanics that were made to fit in there, and I just made appliances to make her face, you know, give her the eye, the heavy eyelids and the big lips and the mole. Those were little appliances that I glued on to the the standard one of the standard gremlins. There were two standard gremlins, a Steve and a Matt. We call them for the people who sculpted them. Yeah. One has kind of a triangular face. The brain gremlin is the Matt gremlin, and the other one is it kind of has a more rectangular or square face and that's the steve gremlin so that's the one the girl gremlin's based on in, in her arms and then i sculpted the body and legs and feet and people molded those we made skins i painted it i designed the paint job and painted it in the eyes and i even sewed together the wigs out of human hair wigs cheap human hair wigs so they'd be gremlin size and somebody in the in the in the costume shop dyed them with um wedding slipper dye like you would use to dye your oh, yeah. slippers for what so they would match so that, that she found that as a way to get really that vivid green so i was so gonna was say a, human hair <laughs> but it, was, yeah. it was it was the worst it was like the cheapest human hair wigs you could buy at a wig shop where <laughs> they were really really cheap um you know bleached blonde hair and we, we got to buy two and then i would cut the two and sew them back together to make three the three wigs for the three different puppets we built. Oh, wow. That all just sounds so fun. I love it. it There's a lot of fun. Yeah, it was, it was, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. <laughs> so how does, how does the work that you did uh, in the creature feature world translate to your world now with what you're doing? Well, it, it's kind of a, 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 it's not a direct connection in, in the sense that um, I, when I was working on Gremlins 2, uh, at some point I looked at an old, school project I'd had done in high school or maybe even junior high about my goals you know like there was it was the speech teacher or the, or the English teacher who wanted you to think about the future and stuff and I had written in there that my goal for the future I either wanted to um, make monsters for Doctor Who or sculpt for Rick Baker and I was sculpting for Rick Baker 
That's I was, incredible. <laughs> I was 20 years old and I said, okay, wait a minute. Now that was my goal. I'm only 20. What do I want to do with the rest of my life? Wow. <laughs> so wow. maybe I should like think of like new goals. And, and also I was around people who were, you know, were super talented and really still super passionate about, you know, working. And I started more reading and thinking about stuff. And so I decided to go to leave and go back to school and go to college. And sort of then I went to college and found stuff I was interested in college and decided to keep going to school and go to grad school and ended up becoming, you know, uh, an academic. So I, other than the fact that I guess I was willing to take risks and do things that were a little bit um, off the beaten path that nobody knows really what, what they are. Um, that's, that's, there's no real direct connection. That's pretty incredible to be able to look at um, what should I do now that I accomplished my like total goal dream at 20. I wonder if, yeah, Nailed I, it. I know. It's like, okay, maybe that wasn't like the greatest life goal. And, you know, maybe I, I needed to, <laughs> I was obviously not the most sophisticated high school student in the world. So it's like, oh, that, that would got me out of the Midwest, but now I'm out. What do I want to do now that I'm out? But it's such a great metaphor. I mean, even the, the, the way you describe the creative process of prototyping and collaboration and creativity and everything that goes into that, like those are the big life lessons, I think, honestly, that why I love working in the arts and what's so cool about working with kids in the arts is like, Oh, yeah. If they could do any of those things, you can do anything, right? Because it's like, it's, it's all and just about saying yes, and then also being okay with failing, because I'm sure you threw away a lot of things you created, right? And that's oh, really yeah. hard. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, and, and that's one thing I've always missed is, I mean, the people I worked with out there were the greatest people. I mean, just like smart and funny and, and just, yeah, totally creative and so that was, that was it. Yeah. I mean, when I, I was watching on Gremlins and I could remember all the stuff that isn't in Gremlins either because it, it didn't work or just because there was way too much stuff. We built these really neat melty puppets for the end scene and it looked really neat. I mean, we just did them um, by modifying regular puppets with like cotton and latex and hot glue and things like that to make them look melted so they could puppeteer them in scenes. I don't think they're really, you can't really see them in, or I, I didn't see them at all. They were cool. Um, but you know, they didn't fit. It's what it, it's what matters to tell the story. So there's lots of stuff. I spent I spent weeks on making melting legs for the brain gremlin at the end out of foam gelatin, and and other another guy named Ed Yang um, made a like a really more elaborate melting brain gremlin body and face. And I, I don't think those are really in the movie. So I mean, so people spend a lot of time on on stuff when they when the gremlins have the little gremlin pods on their back that are about to pop out the new gremlins yeah. they built like a whole back that was about 10 feet tall um magnified so they could puppeteer the little puppets in the the boils on the back for that, oh, that makes kind sense. of see that oh yeah oh <laughs> i mean i on there the level of which um I am grossed out by that is not correlated <laughs> to the amount of appreciation I have for the work. I mean, yeah. it sounds, but that for some reason really grosses me out. So um, I noticed like you can definitely see that they're moving and alive in there. Um, so yeah, yeah. That, that comes through. And I'm just now kind of thinking about, yes, how much work and how would you, how would you do that? It makes sense that you would have to like uh, scale it up. It's back. This is pre-CGI again. I mean, so like you just had to, it had to look like that on the set, right? So there was no, 
erasing little things. So, it, or, or, you know, it, it was just, it had to look like that on set. So yeah, that was a lot of extra work. Totally. But I mean, it really comes across and I feel like that is something that all of the, any of the creature special effects movies that we talk about that get like we on the podcast, like that's what's so great about them is it is pretty CGI and you can just see it. It just feels real. And there's no like distance. There's no like uncanny Valley. It just is. uh, It's so great. And it requires better filmmaking. And I think sometimes they're, they're more creatively shot because they can't show everything. So they have to think about how do you light this and how do you cut between things? I mean, I think that those sorts of things on the thing or the howling make them more effective, right? That, that they, have, they have limited things and they have to be very canny about how they're going to show them. Whereas if you just have a CGI creature it can do anything but you can be very lazy in how you shoot it right and just show it and it's never as effective if you just show it right if, if you you have to totally like the thing that they made is just yeah, yeah right oh. right yeah no the thing is a thousand times better because it's real stuff that they work really hard on but it's real stuff so yeah <laughs> It, it holds up. It's amazing how those, I mean, they, they kind of topped out. I mean, they, they never got better uh, because yes, they yes, did a lot exactly. of those things as well as they can be done. So. Totally. I am, I am jealous or I'm so interested to hear you speak and I'm jealous of what it must be like for you, like what you're saying, watching the, um, the movie to know that that's just a sliver of the experience and like the work that went into it and the world that was built. That's like really cool to, to hear you talk about it. It was, yeah, that was cool. It was classic. I mean, being on the back lot at Warner Brothers is, uh, is just, it's classic Hollywood, you know, uh, sound stages and people walking around in costume and all that. So (laughs) this is, this has been so cool, Grant. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. And, um, I have to go back and watch Gremlins 2 again now. I think I do. I mean, yeah, we talked about, I mean, blink and you'll miss a lot. Like there's yeah. so much going on. So yeah, it'll be exciting to um, yeah. watch it again with, with what you've, what you've told us. I appreciate it much more. Uh, every, you know, I've seen it now. I don't, I haven't seen it that much, but I've, I haven't probably watched it in the last six or seven years, but I, I appreciate it. There's, they, they cram a ton in there. It's just a lot of funny, funny stuff uh, in it and, and clever and, 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 and things. So. I, I'm, I'm glad you gave me the opportunity to watch it again or a reason to watch it again. Oh, yes. Well, ho- hopefully our podcast gives it a whole new renaissance, you know, and it's going to become <laughs> like a big thing. I, this bonus episode, I'm hoping will boost. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty special thing for real. Like it's, it's really cool to have the opportunity to talk to you. So. Yeah, I think it is, you know, it's, it's great. That's the great thing about podcasts and sharing these things because people, they, they do resonate with people, right? In terms of, oh yeah, wait, wait a minute. I watched that. Yeah. I can watch that again. Other people like it. So. I'll be truthful. I reached out to some people to see if they had any questions for you. And I don't think they believed that we were going to talk to you. <laughs> I was like, we're talking to like someone that made the girl Gremlin that worked on the film. I was like, okay, yeah, whatever. <laughs> a lot of people worked on that film. There are a lot of people you could talk yeah, to. That's so. true. <laughs> They don't understand the pull that is it for real podcast. I know. That's right. You know, yes. I was waiting. <laughs> I've been waiting 30 years for just the right occasion. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for making this that occasion. We, we, yeah. we I love this. I'm like, I'm so excited and um, I am going to go watch it again. Damn. 100%. Well, thanks, Grant. Um, I think, I think you're for real. You guys, yeah, yeah, that's what we do at the end. Sorry, for real. We we wouldn't have said you weren't, but I definitely think you are now that we've met you. Good. 
Agreed. That makes it all worthwhile. Good <laughs> to know I'm for real. <laughs> all right. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Bye. I really appreciate it. We'll see y'all. All right.